word. And we know that it's uh, no small thing to do this. And so we ask God that you would open our hearts, open our minds and our ears to what you would have for us to say. Uh, Get me out of the way if there's things that might get in the way. Thank you, God, for your love for us and that you give us your word and that your spirit teaches us. And may that happen this morning in Christ's name. Amen. All right, men, most of you have probably heard of the Army Special Forces. Is anybody in the Army? Because I'm going to explain a little bit, and that'd be really embarrassing if I do it wrong. The Army Special, Army Special Forces, and this is just stuff I kind of had to look up to figure this out. So the Army Special Forces, what they are, the United States Army Special Forces is a, a special operations force of the United States Army that is tasked, really it has multiple missions that it is tasked to do, yet their original really and most important mission that they do is to train and lead in unconventional warfare, which I'm sure we all know exactly what unconventional warfare is, right? I didn't know either. Unconventional warfare. What unco- when you think of, I mean, just think about it. Unconventional warfare is doing war how? Unconventionally, right? Doing it in unique and different ways. Well, here's what I found. Unconventional warfare is activities conducted to enable a resistance movement or insurgency to disrupt or overthrow a government, okay, or an occupying power. And what they do, they do this by operating through or with kind of like underground or resistance forces that they train and in this, usually in a denied area that you really can't get to. It's really, like I said, it's fight, it's figuring out how to win a war in not the conventional way of, hey, let's go do this and let's fight. No, it'd just be really unique. So needless to say, the special forces, the mission, the mission of the army special forces can be extremely important aspect in winning a war. Yet really, just like the army special forces, as followers of Jesus, we have an extremely important role to play in winning a war. Every single one of us. And this is an incredible war. It's the most important and the most sinister war mankind has ever and will face. It's the battle for people's very soul. And we've been enlisted in that mission to be a part of that mission. In our final verses um, that we're going to be looking at, we're finally closing out our study in the gospel of Matthew. So in our final verses, what we're going to see is God's specific mission for how this war, this war for people's souls is to be won. And it's very, very specific. And every follower of Jesus is enlisted to participate in this mission. Now, many interpreters have um, spoken of these last, we're only looking at five verses, the last five verses. Many interpreters have spoken of these verses as really the key to understanding the entire gospel of Matthew. Many, really many of the most central themes throughout the gospel of Matthew really actually come to a climax in these final verses here. So these final verses are often referred to, which most of us have heard this, as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And it's probably one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible. If, you, if you've got the little note things there, and if you want to take notes, the number one there is, I have another thing, it's the last recorded personal instruction given by Jesus to his disciples that are meant to be carried out by all 
those who would claim to be his followers. That's what the Great Commission is, okay? It's literally the mission Jesus expects his followers to be carrying out. It's the mission that he's given every single one of us to be involved with until he returns. And he makes it very clear as we're, as we're going to see. So as we come to our, believe it or not, 62-part study, 62-part yeah. <laughs> study in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, the reality is that these final five verses, though, really are not the end. The exciting thing about this, I, I, at one point I thought, oh, we're done. But really, it's just the beginning. The Great Commission is just the beginning. So for wherever we go after this, by the way, we're going to be doing a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments starting in a few weeks after Easter. So wherever we go, though, is based on this, on this Great Commission. It's just, this is not the end. Matthew's over, but we are continuing on in some extremely exciting territory. Last week, we saw that after his resurrection, remember Jesus met up with these two women who were on their way to convey the me- this message to the disciples that this angel, remember the angel gave them this message, the angel that rolled away the tomb. And that was sitting on the stone, and he told them to go find, go to the disciples, okay? And to tell them to go to Galilee, okay? Which is about 100 miles north of where they were in Jerusalem. That couldn't have been exciting. It would have been exciting, but it couldn't have been exciting to know that we have a 100-mile hike coming up ahead of us. But he said, that's where he wants to meet you. Okay, that's where he's going to go. So this is where these final verses take off, okay? This is where we pick up the story. So let's just jump right on. Let's start by looking at verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 28. He says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So having received this message from these two women, Jesus' disciples head back to their, really what's their, it's their home territory, okay? It's where everything began. It's where Jesus' ministry all began. And they're probably going to location, probably where they think Jesus is going to meet them. This is probably where it's going to happen. And we see that's what happens. Jesus, they see Jesus, but notice their first reaction. The very first reaction that they have is to worship him. But what else? Some doubted. Some doubted. Number two on your little notes there. This word doubted indicates that they were hesitant or they were uncertain in how to respond to Jesus in this completely new situation. I mean, I mean, think about it. After all, they were familiar with Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three years. They knew who he was, yet things were different now. He'd been murdered. He'd been killed. He had been crucified. How are you supposed to respond to someone who's been through that? Oh, hey, what's up? How you feeling? I mean, how do you respond to that? They don't really know what to think. And now he's standing right before them. How crazy that must have been. And not only that, remember the last time that these guys saw Jesus, what were they doing? They were running in fear from the Garden of Gethsemane. They were ditching him. They were running away as Jesus was being arrested. I mean, they're probably thinking, what kind of reception is the master who that we ran away from going to give us? Natural, huh? They're probably not thinking, oh, he's God, he's Jesus, we get it, he's going to be cool with all this. They're probably going, can you imagine? Their emotions are all over the place here. 
We got to remember that. This is, we got we to bring the realness of emotion of Scripture to, to life so often. So we understand that this isn't just some far off thing. This is stuff that we, ways we would relate just as well. And it makes perfect sense. So it's interesting that the only time, though, that Matthew ever uses this word doubt is remember back when Jesus was addressing Peter? Remember when Peter steps out of the boat and wants to walk to Jesus out on the, out, out on the sea? And he begins to sink, and he begins to sink down. after he, and, 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 and Jesus says to him, remember in Matthew 14, he says, I have it up there, he says, Jesus immediately reached out, took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, we, don't, we have no idea how far Peter got. Did he run around a little bit? Did he take two steps? We don't, we don't know. But when he, we do know that when he saw the effects of the wind and everything happened, he began to sink and he cried out for Jesus to help him. And then we see that Jesus kind of scolds him. He scolds him for this little faith. When Jesus, when he does this, though, he's not saying that he doesn't have any faith. What we, we saw later, remember, he says that Jesus told his disciples, if they have faith, remember, the size of a mustard seed, what can they move? Mountains. So he's not scolding Peter because he doesn't have enough faith. I think that's where we get in trouble a lot of times. I think, I just don't have enough faith, which sometimes can be the case. But typically, that's not what is happening here. Because remember, if you had just a tiny bit, you could do something that's pretty darn amazing. Jesus scolds Peter, not for his lack of faith, but for taking his eyes off of the object of his faith. Does that make sense? He's taking his eyes off of the object. So number three on your notes there says, when we doubt, it doesn't mean we necessarily lack faith in Jesus. It often means that we have taken our eyes off of or have allowed ourselves to become unsure of who Jesus truly is. Anybody relate to that? Yes. No, I can. So often we make it a cut and dry thing. I have a lot of, I have faith or I have none. He's telling us that's not the way it works. We need, to take, we need to give ourselves some freedom to know that we're going to have times where we're going to doubt, where we're going to struggle, and then we don't have to beat ourselves up for going, oh man, well, I'm not, I can't be, I must not be a Christian, or I can't, I'm not a very good one. Where's my faith? You've got it. You've probably just taken it off of where it needs to be, the author and perfecter of that faith. So it's really, it's natural that in this context, not only, not totally sure about this new situation about Jesus, that the disciples would experience really this conflicting inclinations to both worship him, to doubt. I think when I first read this, I looked at it as, okay, there were the worshipers and there were the doubters. I'll bet you there were the worshipers and the doubters. Isn't that wild? To think that we can worship our God and still have some stuff that we're wrestling with. Why, God? Why is that happening? But so often what we do, I know it's easy for me, is, oh, I've blown it or I'm doubting. So I back away from worshiping God and the connection goes even further away. Instead of coming to God with my doubts, with my fears, with all of that. 
This is, a great, this is really super reassuring stuff that he's given here. And to me, this reinforces the wonderful truth that I was reminded of. I love this one commentator I read this week says, God loves imperfect people into his perfect kingdom. And God uses imperfect people for his perfect plans. He uses bipolar disciples. Don't we go all back and forth from worship to doubt? Isn't that true? It's so true. Yet the truth is that number four that we will, as we're going to see here soon, is the best remedy for overcoming our doubts is taking action to be involved in the action Jesus has given each and every one of us, which is so counterintuitive because usually when we doubt, we back away, right? When we're struggling, we go, oh, maybe not. But as we're going to see, this is the best way is to engage in that. Now, before we go into the specifics of the mission, Jesus has something very, very important to make sure his disciples and us and we understand that has a dramatic impact on the mission that he has given us. Look at just verse 18. Look what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. First thing he says. I don't know, he might have said, what's up, guy? <laughs> the big thing he says, the important thing he says to them is all authority in heaven and earth has been, has been given to me. What Jesus is doing, he's coming to the disciples in an act of not only essentially reassuring them that their, their failures and their hesitations and their, and their uncertainties, they can leave those behind now. Leave that behind. But what he's doing is he's preparing them to receive not only life-changing, but a world-changing mission. He's setting them up. That's what Jesus was so good about doing, was setting people up for the truth. And that's what he's doing here. Instead of, he comes and says, hey guys, what's up? It's good to see you. Go make disciples. Go. No, he says, first of all, let me, let me lay some groundwork here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what he's saying is he's saying that because of his obedience to his father, he not only has the authority to heal, to forgive and to cast demons, to raise the dead, all the things the disciples had already seen him do, they've already witnessed this, but he has all authority, all authority. He's not just the king of the Jews, which is what they assumed. He's not just the king of the Jews. He is now, he is enthroned as the king of the world. Can you imagine how that must have, in them understanding, to sink in? I'm not just the Jesus that you thought I was, the Messiah that came for the people of Abraham. I, I, it's the whole world. See how he's setting them up? He's setting them up for this big time mission, a big time mission. So that's what, he, that's what we see here. And, um, and in prophesying about this, I love it. You, if you want to see, it's so good that, we, that um, the Bible, throughout the Bible, really affirms so much of this thing. In, in the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesied this. Look what he said. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Impenetrable. This is the ultimate kingdom, ultimate power, ultimate authority. Nothing can overcome it. 
whatsoever. I love that. Jesus is saying, a number five on your notes here, Jesus is saying that he has supreme power and authority over everything. And it's important to understand that this supreme authority and power over everything is to be seen as the essential basis for the commission that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us. This is the basis of it. This is what's to drive out fear. This is what's to motivate us. This is what's to be able to say, I can do this. I can be a part of this. No problem. This is something I can be a part of. It's in this power and authority of Jesus that we fulfill our mission. Not our own strength. Not my own giftedness. Not because I'm charismatic or because I know exactly what to say. This mission that Jesus, we're going to look at very specifically in a second here, is specifically to be fulfilled by his power, by his authority. Wow, does that not make your things that you look about yourself as far as the things that you don't like about yourself or the weaknesses you have or the insecurities you have? I hope that you see that this absolutely blows those out of the water. It absolutely overshadows them in a massive, powerful way. Okay? It's that what happens. Now, let's look at it. Let's look at this world-changing mission that is to be fulfilled by the power and authority that Jesus expects us, his followers, to carry out until he returns. Look at the last two verses in Matthew. It says, Go, therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we see here that this commission that, or this mission that Jesus gives us is very, very clear. Number six on your notes, to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations, and, dis- and a disciple really a simply is a committed follower of Jesus. We are to go and help, to make, we're going to talk about that word make in a minute, make disciples, committed followers of Jesus of, on all the nations. Number seven on your notes there, Jesus tells we're to make them. He says to make, and I kind of wanted to explain this, to make a disciple simply means to assist someone in being a committed follower of Jesus. That's what it simply means. (laughs) To come alongside, to help someone to be a committed follower in Jesus. And really the reference here, the reference here is taking, going from here, out there. We need to help each other to be better committed followers and obedient to Jesus. That we need to do that. But this right here, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, notice the first word? Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is why we exist really as a church. Or at least we should. This is why we should exist as a church. Not to be a holy huddle where we grow fat on God's goodness, which is really good at that. We're really good at hunkering down, getting the best programs, all the good stuff, which is all fine. In that, 
all right, I love God. I, God is so good. I'm, God's grace is wonderful and all that. And we leave the go part out because we're scared. We're nervous. We don't feel like we have the ability. Remember, we just talked about that. It's not about us. It's not about how we do it. This is why we're supposed to build, uh, exist as a church, to build one another up. When we come together as a church, whether it's Sunday morning, Bible study, everybody bringing a, bringing a song, bringing a, a word, we're supposed to come together in order to build one another up so that we can take that goodness that we've gotten fat on out. So we can take it to the lost. To help people to understand how to follow Jesus. That's our role. That's our mission. To help people understand. Now, this is a crazy difficult mission, right? Oh yeah, Rob, I will help people understand how to follow Jesus. Well, we know we have an enemy that's fighting hard. Hard against that. That's why our tactics, the tactics are different than any other kind of war. Now, Notice, notice we see the baptism. He says baptism is a huge part of this. It really, what he says, baptism goes hand in hand with being a disciple of, of Christ. Now, the significance of being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, it spell out this threefold nature of, a, of our allegiance. Put, give our allegiance to. It's, baptism is a, a public declaration of, of being brought into an intimate fellowship and under, not just, oh, now I'm a part of the church, but under the authority of the Trinity. That's what baptism is about. We got a handful of people being baptized in a couple weeks. I'm so stoked. I'm so excited. And the stories range all over the place. It's wonderful. But that's what that is. It's not, it's an outward Simple symbol of what's happened on the inside, but it's also saying to myself, I am coming under the obedience and the allegiance of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what they command for my life and how they will run my life. I want to encourage you, not in my notes, so side thing, if you have not been baptized, or if you were baptized, maybe not even just as a child, but even as an adult or a teenager or something, and it wasn't for this reason? I just want to encourage you. Come and talk to me. Actually, we have one person doing that. Because it, they, they want so badly for it to be because they're doing it out of obedience in order to come under the lordship and, and under this authority of the Trinity. And they didn't feel, they didn't do it in a bad way, but they just weren't really aware of that. So if you have not done that, I just want to encourage you. Not so you can get saved again, that's not what it's about. But it's really putting a stake in the ground and saying, I'm coming under the authority of the Trinity, that authority and power that is meant to radically change my life and impact my life to actually then go and do what God has called me to do, even though I feel ridiculously inadequate to do it. So, a side note, that was free. Nope. Okay. Okay. Because to be baptized in the name of the Father is, who chose us before the foundation of the world and, and to the Son who died on the cross and the Spirit who convicts us and helps us to repent and have submission. That's what we're to do. These, there's, they're not just this holy trinity that's this weird thing up there. It, they all had a purpose in us coming to God. Baptism declares 
That's the authority in my life. Lastly, we see that this mission that Jesus gives us as his followers is to teach new disciples to observe and obey all his commands and teachings. Okay, number eight on your notes there. We are to make disciples by teaching them about Jesus and how to live to his word. That doesn't take a radical program to do that. It doesn't take all this stuff to do that. Because really, the reality is, before you start thinking to yourself, okay, I know that teaching is not a spiritual gift. So I look on this one, right? There's other people I can leave this one to, right? I'll open up my home for something, or I'll do other, I'll sing in a band or something like that. But oh, wait a second, I can't teach. I'm not, I'm not a teacher. Well, I got news for you. <laughs> news for you. You may not have the spiritual gift, of actual spiritual gift, which is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, which really what it does is, is enables a person to, to study and to be able to communicate. It's a supernatural gift to do this, to study and uniquely communicate matters of Scripture in a helpful way. I like to think that that's one of my spiritual gifts. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect in all these gifts, but you might not say, that's not my gift. Yet, here's the thing, we can all, either in a formal or an informal setting, clearly present simple spiritual truths to people in a way that they can understand. We can all do that. The kids in this room right here, sorry. (laughs) Do that. So you and I, we can do that as well. You see, all, we can all do that, whether it's formal or not. The world, word is literally te- teaching. That's what that means in this verse. He means that you're just, all you need to do is simply communicate truth so people can understand it. It doesn't mean getting up in front of people. You don't need a Bible college degree. You don't need a seminary to, to do that. That's another problem I think that's happening in church these days. We've stepped back and we said, okay, there's trained professionals to do the teaching. There's gifted people to do that. What he's saying here, this is all, this is part of our mission. Every single one of us is to be teaching. As number nine on your note says, as followers of Jesus, each and every one of us is called to and has the same spirit of God within us that enables us to be able to instruct others on what it means to follow and obey every single one of us. We all have that same spirit. You have the same exact Holy Spirit in you that I do. The same. I might have the gift, a spiritual gift of teaching, but that doesn't mean we can't can't all explain simple spiritual truths to other people. Whether it's our whether it's to a congregation, to a small group, to our friends, to our children, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, we can all do it. We all can do it. The truth is that we should all look to be what I've been thinking about this lately, what I call, and I, would like, I like the whole idea of being spiritual mothers and fathers to other people. I really believe that's a part of this whole thing, is becoming spiritual mothers and fathers to other people, okay? Just like a physical parent would with their child, we are meant to be nurturing, caring for, looking out for, guiding others in their walk with Jesus. Are you hearing me this morning? Every one of us? 
This is our mission to be doing this. I don't care where you think you are, Spirit, but I'm not that old. You have the Spirit of the living God inside of you. You can do this. You really can. Just like a physical parent would care. Think about how a parent cares for a child. We are supposed to be caring for others, especially those that are less uh, spiritual, like less spiritually mature. And you all know, you know, you can be a Christian for 30 years and still be a spiritual four-year-old. That's, that's really, we need them all the time. But that, so that means that we need to be looking out for one another and coming alongside another, one another and, and helping one another. So you're a spiritual teenager, maybe? Come along some youngins. You can do that. That's part of what we're called to do. If you've been a Christian for decades... I can tell you right now, we, those of us that have been Christians for decades, we should be parenting. We should be spiritually parenting in some capacity. I'm not saying doing this massive Bible thing or whatever, but just coming alongside someone and helping them and what it means to be obedient and to follow Jesus. Can you imagine if everybody in the church did that? If we all did that in some capacity, could you imagine what the body of Christ, let's just picture the body of Christ in Pacifica. If a group of people are all parenting all these people, oh, amazing, amazing. Where the heck am I? Uh, <laughs> so we should all be this, I think, the spiritual mother and father thing. Um, I think a lot of times we look to the, the clergy and those that are trained as the ones that should be doing this. So what's, the, and so what's the best way to do this? What's the best way to become a spiritual parent? You might be thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I'm only 14. Are you 14? Okay. I'm only 14. How can I... Sorry to single anybody out. Um, I'm, how do I do that? And number 10 on your notes, the best way is to simply have or adopt spiritual children and commit yourself to help them grow. How do you have spiritual children? You lead people to the Christ. How do you adopt spiritual children? You just say, hey, would you like to start meeting and helping one another to grow deeper in our walk with God? Not like, hey, I notice you're a spiritual child. No. (laughs) And those of you that are spiritual children and you feel like you're a spiritual child, I want to challenge you and encourage you to reach out to those that you feel like that person could be a good mother, not a perfect, but a good mother or father to me. I need that. I'm thankful that God put that in my heart back in my early 20s. I realized if I don't have spiritual parents, spiritual mothers and fathers in my life, I'm doomed. I know myself. I know my propensities to sin. I'm doomed if I don't, if I don't have these. That's been a gift my whole entire life. The reality is a way that we experience true meaning and purpose in this life is by asking God really to give us the courage and the wisdom to fully participate in the mission that God has given us. Ask him to give you the courage to not only go go to the loss with the gospel, but also the courage in some way to be a spiritual mother and father. And that's going to radically change your life. Radically. Yet the truth is, like I mentioned, this mission is not a mission that we can undertake on our own. We just can't. If you're, if you're listening to what I'm saying and you're going, oh, good. This should scare the crud out of you. Because it does me. 
I look at this and I read this and I study this this week and I, my, I told you last week, and here I am, you know, professional paid Christian, going, how am I doing? It's a hot, this is a big, huge challenge. We can't do it on our own. The truth is it's daunting and scary, yet we just already saw that we fulfill our mission not on our own power, but on the power and the authority of Jesus, who we see at the end here says, how, how long will he be with us? Always. I'll always be with you. This power, this authority, all this that you have access to and that I want to give you is always available. Always. That's encouraging. And the last thing on your notes, you see it's the Jesus who equips and mobilizes us, his church, to fulfill its mission. It's not about us getting our, pulling us ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not about the elders coming up with a great plan to evangelize Pacifica. It's Jesus. It's listening to Jesus. It's asking Jesus to show us what does it mean? What does it look like? How can we be equipped and sent out? How do you want us? How does Jesus want Coastside Community Church to be equipped and mobilized to reach not only our town, but the different groups of people that you have influence on at your work, in your neighborhood, at your school? It's a huge thing. We go in his power and his authority to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them what it means to follow and obey him, all with the authority of our risen Savior, with something with which, <laughs> telling you, we could never expect to, expect to succeed. Bless you. We could never expect to succeed without it. And I don't know about you, but I've been guilty many a times of doing ministry or trying to do things on my own or being afraid to do things because of my fear. And he's saying, go, I got you. You just go and you will be blown away. And it was never meant to be undertaken by ourselves. Just like the army special forces, you didn't say, join the army special force. No, it's the forces, it's these, all these people, it's all these things that they are doing. Our, just like them, our mission is meant to be undertaken with the support and encouragement of others who have been given the same mission. You know, you and I need to rely on and lean on one another in order to be able to fulfill this mission. This is not a mission that you can even do at your job, saying, okay, how do I reach people at my job for Christ in, in maybe in a hostile, hostile environment or how do I do that? Don't do it alone. Doesn't mean I take my pastor to work. Enlist others around you to come along, pray for you, to, to support you, to encourage you, to text you, to tell you, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, all these things, we, that's what we have to have. That's what the church is for. It's not meant to just come on Sunday morning, get my, get my jolt of spiritual juice, and move on. We need to be in others' lives. My hope and prayer is that each of us here becomes more and more of the vital role that each one of us is to play in the mission that God has given us and the power and the authority and the support that is available to do it. And as we do, like I, we'll find that those doubts, about ourselves, 
and about what I'm supposed to do, we are going to find that those doubts that we sometimes struggle with begin to melt away. Overwhelming joy of participating in this mission to go and make disciples. Have you experienced any joy, Sue? Watching you in the silver. But you step into, I've seen, I've seen many of you, that's Joe, starting something at your, at, your work, at your job now, where Christians are getting together in a somewhat underground movement <laughs> to encourage one another. Have you experienced any joy in that? Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. And the doubts, we still might have them, but they start to go, this is what I was made for. I might not be an evangelist, I might not be a teacher, but participating in the mission, this is what I was meant for. Ask him how to do it. A couple questions, we're running out low on time here, but a couple questions. How can, remind, how, can we, how can reminding ourselves that Jesus has supreme power and authority over everything encourage or motivate us to engage in our mission to go and make disciples? What do you think? How can reminding ourselves, because remember, we've talked about this, all what's going on in our minds, isn't it? So how can that, how can that encourage or motivate us to engage in the mission that we have? Any thoughts? Yes? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because if that was a missing part of the plan, the plan would stink. <laughs> the plan would fail. So yeah, exactly. That's a great one, Veronica. What else? Anything else that you can think of? How it encourage and motivate us to engage? Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it helps me not worry so much about results. Like I, I can do yeah. trust him because it's his power. That is so huge because we only assume if I'm doing good in the mission, I will see great results. It's not how God works a lot of times. A lot of times we participate in the mission and we see terrible results. But the joy... Is we, we just don't actually see. Or we don't see the results. Yeah. That's what I meant. That's, that's what I meant. Terrible results. Terrible in our mind. Yes, Lisa. Sometimes it's not so much about collecting souls or doing this, but a lot of it is growing our own faith. Yes. Yes. There's nothing more exciting than obedience. It's hard. But man, what it does is amazing. Second question. When thinking about the idea of becoming a spiritual mother or father, what are some of the reasons people might give for being hesitant to be one? You know, all those things you were thinking about when I was talking about it? <laughs> yeah, Jeremiah. I might, you know, I might feel inadequate that I don't have yeah. you know, the knowledge or the skills. Exactly. Uh, spirit of God? Same Spirit of God? Yeah, and you're not disciples and don't do it alone. Yeah, anything else on that one? That was great. Yeah. Sure. And that's only you, Devin. That's only you. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so true. So, oh, yeah, that's, good. that's a real good one. Yeah, real good one. Yeah. Anything else on that one? Yeah, Deb. Jesus was very oh. optimistic about uh, people going out. When it says, go, therefore, make disciples, that's a command, but it's not a command in the original language. It's a uh, participle. It says, when you have gone, assume yeah. that we would go. Yeah. And we have to come up with a good excuse not to go. Because yeah. he's assuming yeah. that we're going to go. And that's easy. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's great. Great, Dwayne. Yeah, Deb. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a big one for introverts, really big time. And I want to make sure you guys understand that it's, it's, uh, this isn't a claim to, if you're an introvert, stop being introverted. That's not what that means. Stay an introvert. It's a fear of being yeah, big time. Yeah. Do you have another one, Lisa? Well, I feel like as an introvert, sometimes we need other introverts. Yes. Like yes. Yes. Yep. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's so great. Last one, what are some truths that might motivate someone to become a spiritual mother and father? Kind of talked about this a little bit. What are some truths, kind of maybe we've talked about, or as you know, that would, that would really motivate us, that could motivate us uh, to be a spiritual mother or father? Yes? Well, I think that um, parenting comes with its, you know, hardships, but also its rewards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. Isn't it great watching your kids slowly grow and mature? I can tell you that's exciting. What's even more exciting is watching another follower of Jesus grow and mature and talk. And oh, it's, it's that's that's a great one. Anything else? You need to be persistent. Persistent. Who said that? Oh, Carol. Yes. Yes. Good, Carol. Yes. Yes. Lana. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes knowing I, this is going to be hard, but I know this is going to be for me. I, I tell people all the time, and I believe this, so often I feel God called me to the ministry for me. Really. I, for me. The growing I get to do, the, the joy I get to experience in the midst of all my insecurities, but this is what I do. And I have to do it in God's strength and God's power. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's so good. So good. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter a time of communion. We're going to do communion a little bit uh, differently. We'll, we'll turn out the lights, and um, Robin is going to come up, and, and here's what we're going to do. We, I told you that, and we're probably going to be doing this down the road a little bit, is beginning to take communion on a more regular basis, actually every week, <clears throat> pretty soon. And then here's the reason, not just because we feel like, oh, we've been neglecting communion. Communion is a huge deal. Communion is a big deal. It's a, it's a time of not only remembering what Christ did for us, but looking ahead at all that is to come. And when we think in the realm, especially what we just talked about here, that authority and that power that comes with being in this mission that Jesus has called us to, the communion table brings it all back to him. 
So I don't know about you. When I start talking about all this stuff, I think about the thing. I'm an introvert. I'm this or I'm that. Or what if I don't want to? I'm, I'm fear of failure. Poof, that's a huge one. What people think of me, that's a big one. But the communion table brings it right back to Jesus. All the authority, where all the power is from, and I don't have to worry. So that's why we're going to start doing it every week. So we can just bathe in that. During, well, what we're probably going to, we're going to do it, uh, Robin is going to have a song. This is a song, participation. We're going, to worship. we're going to worship during communion. So you don't have to sing if you don't want to. But we encourage you, I'm going to encourage you to come on up as you, as you want during the song. Just take the elements. You can take it back to your seat. You can take it there. However you want to do it. But spend some time refocusing on Jesus. Use this time for worship and prayer. We have prayer people. Uh, Scooter and Suzanne are to pray prayer people. You, we do that at the cross. It will be over in that corner over there by the map if you would like to pray with somebody, which I highly encourage. Once again, we're such an individualistic society. We need to realize we need each other. Go and let them pray for you. Let them lay their hands on you, if you want, and pray for you. And they're going to stay up there during the next song that we sing afterwards to worship. And then when we're done, but you don't have to, but spend some time with the Lord. Let's not be in a rush, all right? Let's let this time be, come on up, Robin, let's let this time be about it. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your powerful word. Thank you for... This, this command, not at this command that as we are going to make disciples and knowing how scary that is, knowing how inadequate we all feel. God, but thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus that supplies the power, the strength, and the energy to be able, and the wisdom to do that. Now as we celebrate what Jesus did for us, God, may we spend that time with you. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds as we take communion.